I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. Today I speak with Mirna Santos about limbal stem cell graft survival. Limbal stem cells are kind of cells that are responsible for the renewal and regeneration of both a normal and uh, endured condition. First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Mirna Santos declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. You can now get Category 1 CME credit for listening to As Seen From Here. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the link marked CME. For right now, you'll need to print the quizzes out and mail them in. We hope to have electronic versions of the quiz available by the end of this year. Big news for iTunes users. You can now get As Seen From Here through iTunes. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the iTunes Users link. Then click the subscribe button and you're done. Alkali burns and other pathologies such as Stevens-Johnson syndrome can cause permanent vision loss through conjunctivalization of the corneal epithelium. The etiology is a deficiency of the limbal stem cells. Therapeutic options are few. Limbal stem cells can be reintroduced by transplantation and the patient's vision may recover. But how long do these transplants last and which factors predispose grafts to failure? These were the questions addressed by Dr. Santos and her colleagues in a paper in this month's American Journal of Ophthalmology. Dr. Santos spoke to me from Rome. Let's start out with a little bit of background. Can I ask you first what limbal stem cells are? So limbal stem cells are kind of cells that are, especially in the case of cornea, responsible for the renewal and regeneration of both a normal and uh, endured conditions. Okay. The source of replenishment of the epithelium, both in the normal setting and in the setting of injury. That's it. Can you tell me what is special about the limbus, what the special structures are of the limbus that are, let's say, particularly protective to the limbal stem cells? Okay, there is a concept, a new concept uh, that's called a niche, a cornea stem cell niche, that we are some evidences that uh, show that this niche is exactly on the limbal region. So we have stem cells in, the re- in this region, probably because we have not uh, yet specific markers, but we have some uh, probably uh, specific markers of these stem cells. We have some, uh, some kind of cells, corneal epithelium, the conjunctival epithelium, the uh, corneal and conjunctival fibroblast derived, and vascular endothelium, and smooth and muscle cells uh, that all together uh, constitute uh, this uh, stem cell, this corneal stem cell niche. And because of that, we suppose, and because of some marks that we have identified, that the stem cells are located in this limbal region. There are certain protective structures that are particular to the corneal limbus, to this niche. Can you describe what some of these structures are? Uh, yes, yes. There is some, some kind of uh, have pigmentation. Uh, there is a palisade of gvolvet 
and uh, this region is highly innovated and vascularized also. I think that this, all of this, this characteristics to taken together, again, this region, some kind of a special region that it's supposed that the stem cells are protected in this, in this location. Some of these protections are, as you said, heavy pigmentation, uh, dense innervation, and yes, uh, in the vascularization. Vascularization and the cellular palisades of vote. Yes. What happens if during injury the limbal stem cells are compromised? What happens in the reparative process if you don't have limbal stem cells? It depends of on um, the extent of this damage. You can see some some clinical pictures of uh, partial limbal stem cells or total limbal stem cells. If uh, the entire limbal region is destructed, we can develop a, a total stem cell deficiency that is characterized by the presence of a conjunctivalization, neovascularization of the cornea, uh, the presence of chronic perlimbal inflammation, uh, persistent or recurrent epithelial defect, and uh, in the end of the, the disease, uh, corneal pacification. In that case, that uh, the damage is localized in, uh, in a region, not, all, not in, in the total limbo area, you can develop this kind of uh, picture, uh, partial uh, on the cornea. And uh, we can find, uh, together of these clinical pictures, you can find uh, uh, by studying uh, with impression cytology or perform a, a characterization of cytokeratines, the presence of uh, conjunctival cytokeratines on the, the cornea epithelia or the presence of uh, goblet cells that are, are found uh, in normal conditions only in conjunctival epithelial area that the presence of uh, goblet cells on top of the corneal stroma is evidence of conjunctivalization of the yeah. epithelium of the cornea resulting it from is. limbal stem cell damage. Now, your study looked at the survival of limbal stem cell transplants and amniotic membrane transplants in eyes with a total deficiency of limbal stem cells. Can I get you to describe the design of the study? The, the study was prospective non-comparative intervention cases series. During three years, more or less three years, the patients that uh, present some, uh, some inclusion criteria, such as uh, lim total limbal stem cells, uh, the patients that you can follow uh, for during at least one year, and the patients that presented a visual acuity less than 20, 200, we included this study. And this study used uh, basically conjunctival limbo graft in amniotic membrane transplantation in, in this kind of patient. And first of all, we performed a preoperative evaluation. Uh, we tried to correct some eyelid alteration, try to stabilize uh, the ocular surface, try to uh, stabilize the a dry eye in this patient to correct some eyelid alterations. And we studied in the case of uh, our indicator allograft transplantation, the HLA type and matching, doing study of HLAI, HLA1 and 2 type and uh, cross matching. 
uh, between the patient and the donor to to identify the donors that are most uh, compatible with this patient. In the surgical procedure, you can describe. Uh, First of all, we in, in the eye in the eye compromised, we perform a superficial keratectomy to remove all fibrous tissue that cover the cornea. Can I have you describe how the superficial keratectomy was performed? Is, is, you know, since this this fibrotic tissue is not going to come off easily, and you want to remove it in a way that the underlying stroma is going to be smooth. What was your technique for doing the superficial keratectomy? Uh, it's so easy because this kind of uh, conjunctivalization that we can see in this patient is um, something like a penis that covers the entire cornea. There is a, a cleavage plane between the cornea, the, the stroma of the cornea, and this kind of panels. And so you can dissect these panels. We can uh, take off this conjunctival epithelia as well as uh, the fibrous tissue. And it's not difficult because there is a cleavage plane. You, okay, you can remove this, uh, this fibrous tissue and after that, and also uh, three or four millimeters of the conjunctiva around this, this fibrous tissue. And after that, the human amniotic membrane transplantation to cover this entire defect that we created with the basement membrane positioned up, epithelial main basement membrane upside and the stroma uh, downside. After that, uh, we start doing the conjunctival limbo uh, transplantation that we removed in the onilateral cases. Uh, from the healthy contralateral eye, and in bilateral case, from the liver-related donor. There were 33 eyes that you did this procedure on. How yes. many of these eyes received limbal autografts, and how many of these patients received allographic tissue? Okay, uh, 10 eyes underwent conjunctival limbal autograft, and 23 underwent conjunctival limbo allograft from living-related donors. Who were matched? Yes, ADLA-matched ADLA donors. After topical anesthesia, because this procedure is very, very fast, we took about five millimeters, millimeters wide strip of bobo conjunctiva from the location of two to ten o'clock positions. And we cut this graft using micro of course, after exposed, uh, exposed the limbo area, uh, we can perform a, a lamellar dissection of this area for about 0.5 millimeters of the corneal limbus uh, using a surgical blade. After that, the central side of this, this graft is cutting using a vanilla scissor. And we took this fragment of conjunctiva and limbo, this graft, and uh, put over the amniotic membrane. We divide uh, this fragment into two pieces and put a fragment uh, on the 12 o'clock hours procedure and another fragment you put over the amniotic membrane in the 6 o'clock position. What were the etiologies of the deficiency of limbal stem cells in the patients who were treated? Patients with Steven Johnson 
and uh, chemical injury. Patients that had uh, they've developed the stem cell deficiency, the total stem cell deficiency after a uh, chemical injury or Steven Johnson syndrome. Then, what was your typical post-operative regimen? How did you manage these patients post-operatively? Okay, okay. You, we have a, a post-operative therapy using an association of topical corticosteroid and antibiotics that you use for about three months. Uh, in patients with severe dry eye, we perform lacrimoplankton occlusion. In, in more severe cases, use also the autologous serum drops. In patients with uh, less than 100% of uh, ADLA compatibility, in that case, in those cases of uh, allogeneic corneal limbo uh, transplantation, or in patients that received keratoplast associated at that procedure, we introduced systemic immunosuppression with prednisone, one milligram per kilogram daily, and cyclosporine uh, orally, always, at three to five milligrams uh, per kilogram. And you uh, use this kind of immunosuppression forever, indefinitely. And how did your patients do postoperatively? Okay, okay. Uh, we observed that um, from these uh, 33 eyes, after one year, we observed a decrease of the survival with just uh, something like 40% of the patients that maintained an unstable ocular surface, a cornea surface. And after two years, we observed a decrease of the, this uh, these results to 30% of the case that maintain a uh, stable corneal epithelia. And after a uh, follow-up time, a mean follow-up time of 33 months, we observed just about 30% of the patients are maintaining these results. And we performed a univariate analysis to study the impact of some, some uh, parameters in these results. You observe that patients with Steven Johnson syndrome, dry eye, keratinization, eyelid abnormalities, and those that, those in, in, in these cases that we performed allogenic conjunctival limb transplants, we observe a, a, a bad prognosis. If from these parameters, we saw that uh, the dry eye, the preoperative dry eye, or was the most important uh, prognostic parameter in this study. That the patients with dry eye were at greater risk for failure of the graft subsequently. They have a chance to, to go to failure uh, about seven, seven times when you compare patients with dry eye and patients without dry eye. And you saw that uh, doing the multivariate regression analysis that the dry eye, the preoperative dry eye, was the most important prognostic parameter in this study. And you can see in other studies that it's the same. And actually now we established that patients with dry, severe dry eye, we don't indicate the ocular surface reconstruction because we saw that all of them, especially those with, uh, for example, Schirmer test uh, one equal to zero, they went to failure. 100% of these patients went to failure. So we decided not to indicate anymore. <laughs> at least for a while, uh, 
until you, you can uh, perform some kind of uh, preoperative treatments, uh, something like uh, submandibular transplantation or another kind of uh, therapy for this case, we cannot in, you don't indicate anymore the surgery in this kind of patient. Some of these patients were put on systemic prednisone and systemic cyclosporin. Did yeah. that help? Analysis showed that there was no difference between patients under systemic immunosuppression and patients without uh, systemic immunosuppression. Into the study, but there are yeah. a lot of studies showing that um, if you can increase or change this this kind of immunosuppression, probably introduce another drug such as tacrolimus or mycophenolate, you can increase the survival of the stem cells. In this study, we did not observe a protective effect of uh, the, the systemic immunosuppression. Many of the patients that went to failure, uh, these failures were um, related to some kind of inflammation condition, not always rejection, but subclinical inflammation, a persistent inflammation. Part of these patients, for example, uh, that uh, receiving Johnson patients, they develop uh, af after the surgery a kind of persistent inflammation and probably with a most effic efficacy uh, scheme of immunosuppression, you can improve this, this result probably. <laughs> the causes of graft failure were things like inflammation and to a lesser extent rejection of the of the graft. What were some of the other causes of graft failure? Okay, we observed that some patients develop a failure secondary to the dry eye, a very severe dry eye condition. And of course, this, this patient also presented a conjunctival, a persistent conjunctival inflammation. We have patients that develop infection after the procedure. In all these cases, for cases that develop an infection, were patients that um, present a limb stem cell deficient after Steve Johnson syndrome. And uh, we, do, we are doing a protocol that studied this flora of the conjunctive in these patients with Steve Johnson syndrome. You, we identified that this patient have um, the presence of mixed um, potentially pathogenetic microorganisms, probably uh, this patient have a predisposition, predisposition to develop infection. And another cause, uh, we observed also rejection in three eyes that underwent a leaving-related conjunctival level of graft. In two patients that are, that are uh, incompatible, AGLA incompatible, and because of that they were uh, under immunosuppression. Also, in a patient that uh, uh, were ADLA compatible, uh, you observe the rejection both of, of, of cases. In despite of the use of cyclosporine, the increase of the dosage of our cyclosporine, topical corticosteroid, all these patients went to failure. You, you could not uh, control this, this condition. In another case, we observe a graft necrosis on the AT day after the surgery. He was a patient that uh, uh, had a very severe alkaline chemical injury in his eyes. 
and these patients present a very, very severe dry eye, and probably this graft necrosis was secondary, very ischemic condition of this eye. In another patient, also after alkaline chemical injury, we observed after two, two after one year, uh, this patient, uh, in the absence of inflammation, dry eye, he developed recurrent uh, conjunctivalization. You can see that you can say that uh, this this patient developed a presenting limb stem cell exhaustion, secondary ischemical injury. Probably developed a subclinical rejection. You cannot say, but probably. You said that the single biggest preoperative factor in determining the survival or the failure of the graft was preoperative dry eye. Okay. Now, let me ask you this. How does dry eye cause graft failure? We know that uh, the presence of dry eye is essential for the maintenance, the stability of the ocular surface. It's uh, extremely important to the nutrition of the cells. And uh, also, the presence of dry eye can produce uh, a chronic inflammation. And all of this kind of alteration taken together can cause uh, um, damage in these transplanted stem cells. Since most of the causes of graft failure didn't have anything to do with rejection of the graft, did you find that HLA matching helped? Our study did not show an, any difference uh, between the patients that uh, were HLA compatible and the patients that uh, were HLA incompatible, no compatible. But uh, this kind of uh, HLA study using HLA1 and 2 seems to be not completely ef ef efficient to protect, to identify the, the, the donor most compatible because there are, an, there are another, another kind of uh, antigens that probably are involved in, in this kind of rejection. There is a kind of reject, rejection that we don't know the exact mechanism, the all of mechanisms involved in, but there are some studies that show that some kind of minor antigen uh, can be involved in this kind of rejection. So uh, HLA-1 and 2, probably uh, instead of this HLA is not uh, efficient, uh, completely efficient to, to identify this compatibility. Did the patients with the autografts do better than the patients with the allografts? Uh, of course, of course. Uh, we, we saw that uh, patients that received autograft showed um, something like 80% of uh, success rate when you compare it to patients that receive allograft. Of course, here uh, we have a lot of another aspect to, to take in consideration because allograft, uh, most of cases are uh, bilateral cases and uh, received a allograft transplantation, of course, with the risk of rejection, the risk of inflammation in bilateral cases. In most of cases, uh, the severity was bigger than or most important than the unilateral cases. 
And uh, you saw that uh, patients that underwent autografts showed about 80%, 80% of uh, success rate. And patients that underwent allogeneic transplantation uh, showed just 13% of success rate. Have the findings of this study changed your own practice? Yes. Uh, the, the most important uh, change that after this study we can, we can establish was the, the change of the immunosuppression because uh, before this study we used the systemic immunosuppression just in patients that are not incompatible. Uncom- and after that, that you saw, even those patients that are 100% of compatible, uh, AJA compatible, we saw some kind of inflammation, kind of rejection. And so you saw that uh, this com- AJA1 and 2 compatibility are not sufficient to, to protect these patients from these inflammatory uh, conditions. And another change was uh, the indication of this ocular surface reconstruction. Before the study, we indicate surgery in patients, for example, with severe dry eye. And after, after this study, we can saw that uh, patients with uh, moderate or severe dry eye have a strong risk to develop failure after the ocular surface reconstruction. So we decide not to indicate proceeding this patient. Mira, molto grazie. Oh, molto grazie. <laughs> okay, okay, thank you very much. Grazie tantissimo. <laughs> Mirna Santos is a specialist in external ocular diseases and cornea at the Vision Institute of the Federal University of Sao Paulo, Brazil, and researcher at the Advanced Center of Ocular Surface and Vision Institute Federal. She is currently a postdoctoral fellow at the cornea sector of the University of Rome, Campus Biomedico, Italy. Her paper, Survival Analysis of Conjunctival Limbal Grafts and Amniotic Membrane Transplantation in Eyes with Total Limbal Stem Cell Deficiency, appears in the August 2005 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Santos or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275. Or Skype J Young MD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.